Welcome to the Movies on the Brain podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Brian C. Wood, and with me this evening is our good friend and co-host, Chad Mitz. So, Chad, the Black Adam, it uh, it is dominating the box office once again, one in its second week. However, there are trolls on the internet comparing Black Adam to Green Lantern. Your thoughts, sir, on the people saying that it is worse than Eternals, worse than Green Lantern, and the box office proves that 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 this is the case. Okay, um, one, I don't think. I think Eternals gets a lot of undue hate. Uh, I think that's a movie that over time people will come back to and maybe appreciate more. Two, um, whoever said that this is worse than Green Lantern has not seen Green Lantern in a very long time. That movie is garbage. Like, like whatever you think of Black Adam, I'm here to tell you Green Lantern is way worse. Black Adam, at the end of the day, is at least an entertaining movie. It is not the best. So you can, there's an, I'll hear an argument on whether it's good or not, but it is entertaining. Green Lantern is not. Green Lantern is a bunch of trash and wasted opportunity that's burned on the screen uh, from uh, amazingly with a, a lot of talented people that have made way better movies all put together and made a a green tinge dumpster fire. Black Adam is not that. Uh, so you can have your agenda against Black Adam, whatever. Um, it's the fans seem to the audience really likes it. Uh, box office. I mean, it's it's winning the box office, but that's kind of soft. The the numbers are getting kind of soft. But again, it's got a month to run. So as long as it's well, not yeah, it has a month to run. So as long as it's number one for the next two weeks, it is winning. That's it. Uh, it's only got one week. It's got this coming up week uh, to win, and then the right. Black, and then the Black Panther Wakanda forever uh, destroyeth all the box office, and we'll get to that here in a bit. But uh, yeah, I saw that comparison made multiple places on Twitter, and I'm like, um. That movie was so bad that Ryan Reynolds tried to erase it from our memories by the end credit scene of Deadpool 2. He killed himself. He killed himself because the movie was so bad. Yeah, it it was ridiculously bad. And, like, it it doesn't do the character any justice. It's not fun. Um, There's just a whole bunch of yuckiness to it. And it is the quintessential... uh, child or the quintessential example of what was going wrong with comic book movies in the early to mid 2000s like this was the thing that you could point to and say this is what it looks like when it goes wrong and you can't say that about black adam you can look at it and say this is very basic this is something marvel would have done early on this is very origin story-esque like you can say those things but they aren't like there aren't bad performances in this movie. There's not a ton of bad CGI in this movie. The plot, while it is thin, as we talked about on our spoiler cast, is still there. <laughs> um, it does justice by the original comic books and by the comic book adaptation, uh, comic book um, origins of this character. Um, it has something to say. Uh, 
you know, as much as a film that has The Rock ripping Satan in half can can have something to say, but like, it's not a horrible film, and it's being received well by audiences to the extent, yes, there's a 68% drop, 65% drop, whatever it is, but the key is it's already over 100 million worldwide. It's on a pathway to profitability, um, and this, you know, this is something The Rock wants to do, and it's something the studio wants The Rock to do. So, like, I don't see the hate, like, why you would compare those two movies. Um, if anything, I would compare compare Black Adam to, uh, you know, um, Iron Man 2 or the original Iron Man. Like, something very early on where you're trying to find your footing with the origin story of a character. Oh, it's in terms of, you know, you know, we kind of try to avoid the, the Marvel comparison, but in terms of doing that this is like a phase one film yeah it's it's that's the, that's the feel that it has had to me when i walked out of the theater that was my first thought was this is this is something they would have made back in like 2008 2009 right and it feels so i mean not foreign but like it feels familiar but not but not contemporary because it's a phase one film and we and phase one is what uh 12 years ago now so and the movie the movies and the things that we're getting now are not doing the same things that phase one we're doing because they're they were designed to be different phase one is to introduce us to all these uh characters and concepts and that's what black adam is doing it's introducing it for better or worse introducing us to uh characters and uh concepts that should carry over it very much feels like the begin. as I said on the, the spoiler cast, very much feels like the beginning of something, not the end of something. Right, right. And that, I mean, that's what it is. It is the beginning of something. Uh, what that something is, it remains to be seen. Uh, I mean, the man did give up his spot on the watcher. Uh, <laughs> well, and I mean, that is clearly what they want to do. But if but. In all the press for Black Adam after the movie came out, they're like, there is a plan. But the next thing is not, you know, the obvious thing of what we we teased in the movie. We're still going to build to that, which I think is smart. Uh, Now, it's just going to be in the execution from here on out. That's my that's my whole thing. The next thing should be Shazam and Black Adam. Well, well, yes. That would be what your Shazam three would be. Now, whether or not you cram another Black Adam two in between there, and how long you want Zachary Levi to keep playing that character, or he's willing to play that character, I don't know. But like, the ideal matchup would be Black Adam and Shazam. So Shazam's got a whole Shazam's got a, a number of things that that are. Uh, working again i guess against it i don't think zachary levi will be a problem i think you can get him to come back i think he likes the character i think you probably get him to come back for like another two three movies if you wanted to do that it's the fact that the whole thing of shazam is that it's the whole it was designed as the wish fulfillment of comic book readers to say a magic word and they become a superhero and well these kids they were kids in the first one barely like um um uh, Asher Angel and Jack Dylan, I forget his last name, but Jack Dylan, uh, his friend, uh, the one with the crutches, 
they are they were like 17, 18 when they made the first one. That was five years ago they shot that. Uh, these kids are like in their mid-20s now. And if you want to make another one, they're probably going to be, you know, on the other side of 25 by the time you do that. And at some point, kids stop looking like kids. So they have that whole thing going for them. But the issue with Black Adam and Shazam, yes, they should come together. But are you going to do just Black Adam meeting Shazam? And if you do that, are you going to lean into what Black Adam was in the comics as the villain, which The Rock doesn't seem to want to do? And then, but you there, there's also the precedent of when Shazam meets Black Adam for the first time, he meets him with Superman. There have been a couple of stories. Uh, I, I've saw, I saw one specifically in the Shazam trade. There's the, the animated kind of short movie on HBO Max. It's kind of like the retelling of that story where Shazam gets his powers, meets Black Adam. And when he meets him, he's meeting him with Superman and they both fight Black Adam. When are we going to have all three of them meet at the same time before we get to the Black Adam Superman thing? I, they can go a bunch of different ways. They got to handle Shazam some kind of way in there. I don't know what the hell they want to do. I I would I would think the end game for Black Adam and Superman would be Black Adam, Superman, and Shazam. So I don't think that you get a movie of Black Adam and Shazam just those two through the whole thing. Maybe Shazam meets Black Adam at the end of one, but. You know, we're all just guessing right now because I have no idea what the hell they want to do. Well, see, here's the thing. That that post credit sting pretty much tells me where they want to go with it, which is that there would be some kind of triggering event. We said earlier on our review podcast that uh, they make she makes a very big point about there was no Justice League. There was no Justice Society that came here to help us while we were oppressed and afflicted. And in the... Uh, post credit sting, you have Amanda Waller basically saying, "Well, if you won't, you know, you won't consent to being locked up in my prison, then your city is your prison. And if you step outside of of the bounds of it, I'll have to, you know, call in my friend from another planet." Um, I think what they are trying to escalate to is some kind of event that causes a disturbance in the Rock City, and that then the rock either has to go outside the city to fight the threat or others from outside come in to uh to combat the threat and that would be how Shazam and Black Ad- Shazam and Black Adam and Superman would get involved uh, but there would have to be some kind of triggering event and i don't know if you would do that at the end of Shazam 2 because again you're dealing with the council of wizards and the you know Black Adam and Shazam's powers come from the same place and in all of the things, um, I don't know if you do it in a Shazam two. I don't know if you do it in a Black Adam two, but like it seems to me pretty clear the pathway they have to go forward is there some kind of triggering event that causes The Rock and Superman and Shazam to have to meet. Um, yeah, that I mean it's probably going to be something like that because um, you know yeah she made a very clear threat don't leave uh. Uh, Kandak, or there's going to be problems. And in the comics, while in the movie, um, you know, Black Adam destroys the throne, 
uh, when they're basically like, are you going to lead us or whatnot? He and he basically it makes it makes it seem like, no, we're going to lead each other kind of thing. But in the comics, uh, Black Adam is like kind of like Dr. Doom. They run their country. Black Adam runs conduct. So if that if, if they want to go that route, it will, they can probably do it over a movie or two where st- stuff happens. And he's like, you know what? Never mind. Maybe I should just run this joint. And then him him making that declaration is a sign that, OK, he's somebody we need to go deal with for real this time. Um, so I, I think that's I think that's ultimately how you get there. Right, but Dwayne has kind of intimated that he wants to do the anti-hero thing, not the straight-up villain heel thing. Well, then this lets them do it where it's a, okay, who's the hero, who's the villain? Because they can play it where in conduct, Black Adam is very much the hero. Where like, Like that sentiment she had in the movie. Nobody came here before. He's here now. And it could still be that same thing where you know, he was like, I try, I try to not rule over everything. I try not to be the figurehead of everything, but y'all keep doing this stuff and messing with these people. So, well, God damn it, it's mine now. So if you mess with them, I'm coming, I'm running this now. So you mess with me and the people in contact can be like, still rally behind him and be like, uh, yeah, even though he is a quote unquote dictator, they're completely fine with it. And he's not a villain to them, but he could be a villain to the people outside. And then those people on the outside, the heroes outside, but in conduct, they're the villains. Very, very, uh, very much they, they could go that route. And just overall, and we'll get to some of the stuff surrounding Warner Brothers and DC here in a bit. But like overall, it seems like The Rock at least has a very clear idea of where they want to go with this little corner of the universe. And I, and I think that they've earned enough goodwill and trust with this one and with Shazam. To uh, you know, because if nothing else, you can say Shazam Two looks fun. Uh, looks like Helen Helamir is having a ball. So, um, so we'll we'll go from there. But I think it's going to be interesting to see what pathways they seem they they choose to take. Right. So, Chad, the Wakanda Forever has now been unleashed on the world, and reviews and social media reactions have been fluttered about. Your thoughts, sir, on the first emotional. Uh, reactions to Wakanda forever. So it's, I hate reading uh, early reactions, even though I'm sitting there waiting for them to drop uh, the day they say they are, because it's, it's so hard to get a read on what people really feel. Uh, because for the most part, most of the people that are, are giving out reactions have been they're, they're They've seen it at the premiere. That means they were invited by the studio to come out and see the movie early and let and the studio let them tweet out their reactions. So one, the studio is not going to invite people that they think are going to be overly hostile to the movie Two, they're going to invite people that even they're not going to the people that they do invite. Uh, they understand that, uh, you know, they understand their professional integrity. Um, so, like, here's my thing. It's really hard for me to get amped and excited about reactions, social media reactions coming out of a Marvel premiere. And it's simply because um, it's simply because like inherently these folks are people who've seen a bunch of Marvel movies, 
who as a general rule like Marvel movies, and there has yet to be coming out of even something like Multiverse of Madness something that is overwhelmingly negative. I, I think the last time I remember there being an overwhelmingly negative uh, Marvel movie reaction was uh, probably Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, just simply because, you know, uh, it's long and there's a lot there. Um, but, like, it's hard for me to be like, take all of this as gospel when it's a bunch of people who take the inviting and, and the corporatism out of it. Just these are folks who are, like, as a general rule, positive about the things that they see. Um, I can't tell you the last time I saw Frosty go out there and write something absolutely horrid on Twitter after seeing the premiere mm-hmm. of a movie. Um, it's you want to, you're you're influenced by the environment, by the things that are going on, all the pageantry, all the costumes, all the all the all the different things. Um, props to our boy Jim Vavita for for going to the premiere and having some fun. Um, but like, it's hard for me to go like, you know, I was on the fence about buying a ticket to Wakanda forever, but I saw these social media reactions on Rotten Tomatoes. So now I'm good. I'm sold. I saw this target, this target commercial for the 18th time. I'm good. Sold. I mean, more like at this point with a movie this big, those, uh, first, those first movie impressions are not so much to um, they're they're not supposed to sell the movie to the general audience because, quite frankly, the general audience doesn't even see those. It's for people like us. They keep checking this stuff to see what what people think of the movie. But as we're both saying from different ways, while I don't think anybody's putting their journalistic integrity on the line and would like lie about things, I do think that they would. Uh, handle it in a way where they only highlight the best things that they saw and not talk about anything else until it comes to that time. I think that is the courtesy they would give Disney. And I think that is, you know, kind of, I mean, you're getting invited over to a party. You don't want to be rude. So I think that's their happy medium. So all that to say, when I saw these impressions, again, I, they, they're all, all good. They're all good. Um, I will say the thing that people, if there was negative pointed out, I saw multiple people say that, you know, it is almost three hours and sometimes you feel the length. And I think that without even seeing the movie, I think that is fair because almost three hours is a lot for anything. But uh, James Cameron. Well, yeah, I, I, I ain't got nothing to say about him. Uh <laughs> You're going to have so people, much fun with your three hours and ten minutes in a theater with the blue people. I don't look. When I saw that runtime, I was like, "Do I really have to see this movie?" Like, I don't really have to, do I? But I, I well, we'll get to the blue rabbits eventually down the line. Uh, but another thing with the people that were uh, doing this reaction, we're talking about that it is emotional, which is again something to be expected. Now, outside of that. Can I tell you if the movie is good or great? I can't. Uh, I don't. I. I just can't see how it would not be at least good. But I can't. I can't say that for sure. Not off of these reactions. We have to wait till next week uh, to see official reviews, and we get to see it ourselves next weekend. So, well, in two weeks. But uh, you know, 
it got us ta- it got us talking about Black Panther again. And I mean that that plays its part for for the movie, but I don't think it's going to move the needle overwhelmingly one way or another. Well, I mean, you've you've stated on multiple times on this podcast about the lack of perceived uh, public visibility of this film. <laughs> the general audience goers don't always know that this is a thing that's coming this year. Um, oh, well, so, yeah, that earlier in the year, that was very much the case. Now, I don't I do not think that's a problem. Um, like what, when we first started talking about it here, as we're both watching the Sunday night game, uh, there was a trailer for Wakanda Forever, like right when you started the topic. So it have been a little bit before you for me. Um, so so in every game I've seen like that, college, pro, uh, NBA, uh, NFL. The only thing I'm not certain about is the, the World Series. The Target commercial. Yeah, the and the Target commercial. So it's getting it's getting out there and. I think in the next the next two weeks is two weeks are going to be the blitz. You're not going to be able to get away from it. So people are by the time the movie's released, people will know exactly when it's coming out. It was just normally normally you would feel it before then. But as I'm thinking about it, the last few Marvel movies outside of like Spider-Man and even well, let me not even it's say Spider-Man. Four, it's a four month marketing campaign at this point. You know, yeah. you, did, you did about a three to four month. Like the only one I can think of that didn't have that this year was Thor because Thor was so awkwardly placed on the calendar where, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was still in theaters when Thor Love and Thunder got put out. Um, but for the most part, it's like first trailer drops somewhere around three to four months beforehand. Second trailer drops somewhere around two months out. Tickets go on sale uh, about a month out. And then you flood all of your Disney affiliated airwaves with advertisements, commercials, posters, and all the things for the movie. I mean, it's not like Mark Disney doesn't know how to do marketing campaigns. It's just that it becomes more difficult to do cyclical marketing campaigns when you have four movies in a, in a year. And I, and I think that's the thing that's, that's what's changed the most before, you know, we were getting one, two a year. So it would start further out, but they didn't have, they weren't, they didn't have to compete with themselves. Now, like with like with Thor, we got the first trailer like right before Doctor Strange, so it can play with Doctor Strange. Or no, actually, we got the first trailer before that, but it was really like a teaser trailer just to like let you know. And then we got a new trailer right before Doctor Strange, and then they really started it um, like the middle of June, which again, like you said, because Thor came out in July and Doctor Strange came out in May. There was a a lot of overlap, but also in between there, you had what Miss Marvel come out on the other side of Thor. You had She-Hulk come out. So all these things overlapping it. That's why I think that's what's changed. Once the Disney Plus model and the the four movies model, the year changed, they had to spread it out. So what we were used to with which was having a little bit of presence over a longer haul has had to be pulled back because you have four movies coming out and you want to give each movie its time to shine going into it. So you can't have that overlap. And you also have to factor in the Disney plus shows in between all that. So. And some small and some small Deadpool news in between all of that as well. Yeah. So, so the, the rollouts are more like, you know, 
like three months. The like the main rollout is more like three months, um, which has been which has felt like a change, but I think it's going to be the norm. So from here on out, I think this is what we're looking. This is what I we're mean, looking look at. Quantum Mania. Quantum Mania is February. You're getting the first trailer with Black with with, uh, with Black, Black Panther. Panther. Wakanda Forever in November. You'll probably get another trailer right around the first of the year, a little bit after, and then tickets will go on sale. and The movie will come out. Yeah, I'm now with that one. I'm curious about the second trailer because the best bet for you to put it somewhere is probably with your goddamn Blue Rabbits. So uh, somewhere in December, maybe they get the second trailer to attach it to uh, See, Avatar. I don't, th- I don't think they do that. I think they wait for one of the. Uh, I think they wait for one of the playoff games in in January. Um, stick it on there. And, and do it that way. Something that's less, more cost effective than the Super, Super Bowl, which would be right around the release week. You're right. You're right. I, I always forget that they that they've done this whole thing of um, those big event games because of ABC and all that. But yeah, that if it's not if it's not Avatar, it'll be one of those games. And one of those games makes sense because then it would be in January and not uh, two months out in December. So my thing with the reactions was that it, it seemed to me to indicate that we had some really good performances to look at, and specifically some really good, um, specifically some really good um, female-driven performances from Angela Bassett and Letty Wright. Um, the other thing that I really took from the first social media reactions was they got Namor right. Uh, this was not a character that a lot of people this like for me, he was on that level with ego, the living planet. It's like, could they do this thing? Yes, they could do this thing. But are they going to like, what are the chances, man? Like, it's like Modoc. Like, there's there's a line there. It's like, um, I know they have this property. I know they have the ability. But should they and can they? And. Well, the reactions out of, out of uh, Wakanda Forever suggest yes, they can. Well, okay, so I'm curious. Why would you? Why do you put Namor in the same categories like Modok and Ego? Because while I agree, Mod- particularly Modok, Modok is a ridiculous concept, and I, again, I'm when it comes to these things, I'm more the conservative side. I wouldn't do those things. Namor, I don't think. I mean, yeah, he got those stupid ass wings on his ankle, but. You can deal with that. Uh, Modok is like a completely different animal to me. I know we're going to get him. I, I've long since passed the, the the plane of they can't do anything at this point. They can do whatever they want. They seem to be finding a way. I'm just curious why you th- why you think why you thought Neymar would have been so undoable uh, before. Um, because you're basically doing Aquaman. Okay. And and you're doing him in an environment where Momoa's Aquaman has taken off and been successful. And while you do have you do have to have a community to attack Wakanda, because if you take Chaswick's death out of it, like even if Chadwick has still been here, there had to be a attack of some kind on the freedom of Wakanda, whether that came from Neymar or whether it came from Doom. It had to come from somewhere. And so to me, with all the fervor and the excitement and the anticipation of something else like Fantastic Four, 
And with Doom and Wakanda having that history together, I would almost have thought that that would be a safer way to go than doing the underwater guy who looks a lot like Aquaman. Um, but all praise to them. They moved them from being Atlanteans to being Aztecs. Um, they embraced that Mexican Latino heritage of those, of that people and created one of the most diverse casts in Marvel history. Um, and it appears that they did the character justice and, and did him right. Um, which, you know, a Black Panther sequel has to live up to the billing of Killmonger as a villain. You know, <laughs> you know, Michael B. Jordan's a heck of an actor and apparently going to be a heck of a director. Um, but like, those are large shoes to fill. And, and to see the first social media reactions hinting at the fact that, like, they got it right uh, is is why I thought he was kind of kind of in that vein of they could do it. Do they really want to do it? Yeah, so I, your your point is is uh, well taken because I, I should have said like pre Aquaman, but yeah, you're right. Aquaman is the only reason I would have hesitated on doing Namor, uh, because while I I know that there are plenty of duplicate characters from both companies, when it comes to putting them on screen, whoever does it first on the movies, people are going to think the other one is copying, even though. Namor is way older than Aquaman, but um, but yeah, changing changing Namor's backstory because I mean, if you kept it the same as the comics, it's just straight up, you know, Aquaman. But changing the backstory and then, I mean, the tone of Namor is completely different than the tone of Aquaman, and it has the whole trust factor of Marvel. And particularly Marvel with Black Panther. So, yeah, that, like, while I completely understand that that concern, honestly, once once they confirmed Namor, it never crossed my mind because I figured I knew he was going to be so much different than Aquaman, and people were going to buy into him from because it's Marvel and because of what they've done and what they've done to Black Panther before that a lot of people might not even think of Aquaman when they see Namor. I will be curious to see what they what the general audiences say when they do see the movie and they do see Namor, how much comparison to Aquaman does he get? Uh if he doesn't get any or very little to none, then they succeeded and Aquaman may have to have some proving to do when his movie comes out. Again, I think also coming out of it it'll be interesting comparisons between this performance and the performance that Michael B. Jordan gave in the first Black Panther movie, because Killmonger is considered the one of the elite villains in the history of the MCU. So be interesting to see how Neymar uh, stacks up on that list, if he does even qualify as a villain, because the homeboy, homeboy did say, no villain, but we will see. Unlike other people, I think Neymar... Uh, actually, no, I don't even think Neymar is going to be an antihero. I think he's just going to... He is an antagonist. I don't I won't say he is a villain. I won't say he's a hero. He is an antagonist cuz that is yeah, that's pretty much Namor's whole thing in the in, in the comics. I mean, sometimes he's fighting on what you think are the side of the angels, but he is just an antistic uh, antagonistic son of a bitch. Uh he antagonizes people. That's his that's his thing. That's what he that's his bag. Indeed. So Chad, this week we also got our first look 
at Cosmo the Space Dog in the Guardians of the Galaxy a holiday special. A holiday special that we've known for a few years now was coming. Uh, it was first announced, I believe, at uh, Investor Day uh, back at, in 20, uh, 2019. Um, your thoughts, sir, on James Gunn finally getting to do a holiday special and the way that this looks and feels in a uh, in a post uh, Love and Thunder world. So the spe- yeah, we've known about the special for a while. Um, since you brought up Cosmo, I will say Cosmo. We have seen Cosmo before in the first Guardians, but this is going to be uh, a more substantial part for Cosmo, especially since we know Cosmo is going to be in Guardians three, and that Cosmo is a girl. So. We didn't get to hear her talk. That's kind of the the thing I was looking forward to the most about when I saw her. I didn't know she was going to be in this, but when I saw her, I'm like, okay, I want to hear the voice, but we didn't get that. Makes sense Uh, because they shot the holiday special in in part three together. Right, yes. Um, My biggest takeaway from that trailer was I didn't know we were going back to Earth. And I didn't know a big part of this whole thing is uh, making Kevin Bacon canon in the MCU as Kevin Bacon uh, and Drax and Mantis are going to kidnap Kevin Bacon to cheer up Peter Quill. And I can see the hilarity ensuing off of that. I'm enthralled with that premise already. That's pretty much all we know uh, that. And we get a glimpse of all of the guardians sans, um Sans Gamora. Did we see Nebula in that? I don't remember if we saw Nebula. I don't remember seeing Nebula, but I like uh, Rocket and Groot are, are in there. Right, so, and we get to see uh, the next manifestation of of uh, Groot. He is he is grown. He is not the the twig teenager we saw last, but he also doesn't look like old Groot that we saw in the first Guardians. He's he's built differently, so that was interesting. Uh, all in all, I'm just here for the fun, and I want to see what they do with Kevin Bacon and really how Peter Quill reacts once he sees uh, Kevin Bacon that uh, uh, after they kidnapped him. And I can't believe they went back to earth because they made it a, another in the other movies They made it a big point that Peter does not want to set foot back on earth. And granted, he's been on earth for Endgame, but it's not something that he ever really wanted to do. So I, I'm interested to see how that they convinced him to go. That was the first instance of it, right? Was going back to Earth was was when they left Titan after being resurrected and Doctor Strange opened up the portals. Right. So, like, you know, that was his first steps on back on Earth since leaving Missouri as right. a kid. So um, it's going to be interesting. I just love the concept. Uh, Kevin Bacon is an underrated comedic actor. His timing is really good. He has a really good wit and witticism to him. Um, people... He's fallen into this trap. His career has gone on a lot of ups and downs throughout its time, as most longevity actors do. But he's gotten into this thing where it's like serious Kevin Bacon, where he's like doing, you know, things like the following. And he's he's doing TV, a lot of TV work in the last five to ten years. Like he's he's been in serious mode to get back to Kevin Bacon, who was, you know, hamming it up in the hollow man. Uh, is going to be a lot of fun, and to have him pay referential uh, treatment to his character from Footloose, because that's what it's all about, mm-hmm. um, is going to be a whole lot of fun, because you don't get a whole lot of those meta opportunities for 
stars to kind of revisit characters without revisiting characters, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so to give him a chance to give to be revenant toward a character and toward a movie that helped launched him, uh, that helped launch him, uh, is going to be fun for me. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'm also just really looking forward to some more, you know, Batista comedy because, like, dude has skills, and I love the pairing of him and Mantis. Yeah, he's uh, Dave is having. Well, I don't know if he's having a good time, but he's really gotten good at this character in in this uh, the comedic parts of it. Uh, and but he was at the same time though he was about the only one who, after the James Gunn news, was like going off publicly, like threatening no, no, he, to walk away. He was the first, and he went the hardest. But they all came around and rallied behind James and put their names on it. Uh, but he was like the, like the first out the gate that was like, uh, this is dumb, and I don't want no part of this if I can't have James. So, you know, uh, but he's he's come along he's come a long way in this series. Yeah. Uh, of I all the wrestlers that we know, all the guys that we followed in our careers, uh, in their careers in WWF slash WWE, I don't think Batista would have been extremely high on the list where we would have gone. That guy is going to be a a good actor, and here we are, you know, ten years later, and he's a very accomplished actor. But that's because he's put the work in, and he said he's put the work in. Which is why he won't do some of the other uh, roles that we associate with uh, wrestlers turned actors. He's trying to get better at his craft and do different things, which is part of the reason why I think he's ready to move on from Jax. Nothing against being Drax, but uh, he just wants to do something else. It is, which you can tell, like, since he's been doing it so long, uh, and he's the one that has to wear no shirt, uh, that he's finally been like, "Um, I'm getting old, man, and. I'm on my way out. Can we just like put me a vest on or something? Um, the thing for me with him is I can't wait to see him kick ass and destroy in Dune too, because that that role as it's designed in the book and the way that things are set up is a perfect hybrid of action Dave Batista and serious actor Dave Batista. And so hmm. I'm really looking forward to to his portrayal in that. Dune two is going to be awesome, uh, mainly because Vanville played nice ish on the whole HBO Max thing. And so he basically got a free, a big check to go do a sequel before the regime change where big checks aren't exactly flowing forth. Um, so yeah, I think he would have still got it for, um, well, I mean, I think the, movie, was... he, the movie didn't win a ton of Oscars, but it was nominated for seven, I think five or between five and seven Oscars. And most of those were the technical categories. So, I mean, yeah, you, you finance that dude's movie and give him a little bit of budget increase. But still, this regime, it doesn't really seem too keen on, let's up, the other one barely made any money, let's up the budget. Right, right. Uh... I mean, that's why, the, like, the only reason the blue people, the Dances with Wolves of Blue People thing makes sense is because Disney has a vested theme park interest. If that theme park ha- had not opened in... Uh, and Animal Kingdom, and, and Cameron had not already had the working relationship that he had with Disney before the merger. I really couldn't have seen Disney going, here's a check for three and four. And they did. And so, like, it, it's it's a thing where I feel like if 
Bienville had made Dune even a year later. Dune had come out even a year later. I think he would have been... He would have had a hard time getting this regime to sign off on a bigger bigger budget. Uh, yeah, probably. It's... So what other thoughts did you have on the uh, on the holiday special? I mean, I wasn't really expecting footage, so. No, no, that that's about I mean, that's actually more than I expected, uh, being that it's like, you know, less than an hour and. No, it's and right at an hour, apparently. I thought thought it was an hour, one hour holiday special. See, I thought it was shorter than an hour. I thought it was like uh, I thought it was like 30, 40 minutes. But if it's an hour, that's, you know, that's still pretty good. But. Uh, you know, I think I think it did what it was supposed to do. It got people aware that it's coming and it got people excited, particularly those that like Guardians. Yeah. And that's all you can ask for it to do. Although I still think even after I see the Guardians holiday special, my favorite piece of Christmas cinema from the MCU will still remain Hawkeye. Hmm. I'm going to wait to see. But uh, I did enjoy Hawkeye. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. All right. Um. So there was one thing before we get into our um, DC news of the week, or the, our Warner Brothers news of the week, I should say. There was something that I wanted to bring up because we talk, we do talk from time to time about um, box office here on this uh, on this show. Um, I wanted to to bring this up. You know, we we talk all the time about big popcorn films, and we we talked earlier in the podcast about Black Adam's uh, uh, weekend, where it finished with $27 million, and uh, the rom-com starring Julia Robertson and George Clooney called Ticket to Paradise finished with $10 million. Um, You know, so that was the thing, right? It, it happened. And so we talked about it, but I wanted to bring the attention to a tweet or some numbers from our friends at Exhibitor Relations. Here are the box office totals and theater counts for some of the Oscar-contending movies that have come out in the last two weeks, okay? Well, specifically, this week with with expansions, okay? Call Jane uh, had a one, uh, opened on 1,070 screens. It made $235,000 for a per-theater average of $220 per theater. Uh... The Triangle of Sadness, another indie movie that's getting really good reviews, um, expanded into 610 theaters this week. Total box office, uh, $549,000 for a whopping $900 per an average at the theater. Uh, Tar, which is the very brilliant, very moving Kate Blanchett uh, vehicle for get her another Oscar nomination, if not win. Um, the it expanded into one thousand eighty seven uh, one thousand eighty seven theaters. It made one million dollars for a poor per theater average of nine hundred and thirty eight dollars per theater. And then lastly, Till the movie about the uh, Emmett Till uh, Emmett Till's mother. Uh, the great civil rights leader, um, with a star-turning performance from its lead actress that is probably going to land her in the uh, in an Oscar race, uh, opened in 2,058 theaters to $2.8 million, or a $1,336 per a theater. So, 
while we sit here and we talk about all the box office stuff for the big movies, there's some panic going on. Um, And there's some panic going on from your usual film Twitter folks who are like, but these other films over here are dying and they're really good. Why you no go see other films? (sighs) All right. So first and foremost, the movie going audience, the the habits have changed post COVID Um, because as of right now, people are only going to see really big movies in the theater and nothing else. And pretty much they, they it's consolidated around when it first opens. So for like the first three weeks when something new comes out, people flood to the theaters and then it's kind of nothing, which is why like, I know here I used to like going to the movies in the morning. Now they don't even have morning shows. They only start doing stuff in the afternoon why? Because that's the when they know they're going to get more people because nobody's going to see anything else outside of those times. So that's that's one. Just the movie going uh, habit has changed for better or for worse. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe it won't. But right now, that's where we're at. Two. Um, so, again, you and I every week talk about movies for an hour every week, at least. And I know I knew that uh, Tar, the Kate Blanchett movie, was coming out uh, because of the su- the subject matter. She is a conductor. Uh, I have I haven't seen a trailer for it. I know if I looked, if, I know if I go look for it now, I'll probably find one. But normally, one of those things would scroll across my screen, and I would watch it because I I was already interested. Once I saw that she's going to be a conductor, I knew. This would be something that's up my alley, but I haven't seen anything for it. So I until you just said it, I did not know it was released and expanded yet. So if I am a person that likes movies, uh, that follows movies, did not know that a movie that I was interested in even came out. What hope does anybody else have? of finding out about these movies. And I know it's just when you're talking about these Oscar movies, especially now they're closer to independent films. They don't have really big budgets, which means they don't have really big marketing budgets. But if you want people to see them, forget about, you know, people talking about nobody sees the award nominated movies because, you know, they're more indie films and stuff. If people that like movies, and we'll go see stuff like that. Can't even find out about it. Wh- who's to- that's not my fault. Like I, I actively I have streams that are dedicated to movies, and it doesn't come across my stream. No, uh, if it doesn't come across my stream, nobody's seeing it. That is not the audience's fault at that point. And I, I wish them Twitter would recognize that. So it's a two fisted problem, and one of those fists is like actively feeding into the other because they're just not even showing it to people, letting people know that these things are coming out. And I know all that's going to boil over into a war seasons because people are going to be like, I don't even know what this is. And this year I'm going to be like, well, I don't either. And I look for this stuff. So it, it's, it's still a, I think this is still effects of somewhat effects of COVID and people not knowing what audience trends are 
and how to market these things, but they got to figure something out because you can't, you can't just not let people that are in your little, I mean, these movies are almost niche movies anyway. You can't, can't just release them and not let people inside the niche know that they're coming out either. You're just asking for all sorts of failure and ridicule come Oscar time. Yeah. I mean, like, but there's also the problem that even when you roll something into a thousand theaters, not every market in the United States is covered. I still have right. to, go to New, I still have to go to New Orleans if I want to see Tar. And even there, it's on a small screen at the at the Broad or at Elmwood Place or something like that. It's not in an IMAX screen, which is the way I've been told. Uh, I've seen multiple uh, multiple reviewers say that you need to see this film with the best sound. And on the biggest screen that you can, it's getting similar praise to Whiplash, um, which I know is a film that is near and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard really good things about My Policeman, which is the Amazon on, on Amazon right now. I've heard really good things about uh, a few other films, but the fact is that you know I've been I was interested in the Emmett Till movie, uh, but finding a good Showtime necessarily that's close isn't always easy. And if that's the case for people like me, like people like me who live in Louisiana, or certainly people like you who live in Texas, imagine somebody in Kansas, you know, imagine somebody in Nebraska, or Iowa, and I'm not picking on our brothers and sisters from the Midwest. I'm just saying, like, there are some rural parts of those states where it may be a lot of long time to get to a movie theater. So, like, how do you expect those folks to seek out and find your movie if? Even if it's in a thousand locations, most of those are in your big cities and not in your small towns. Um, you know, it's it's like these are the same people who get mad that and I bring this up constantly. But like these are the same people who were like Steve Jobs didn't even finish in the top 100 of the box office the year it came out. And it should have been one of the best films of the year and most successful films of the year. And the reaction, the reality is the film is structured like a play. It's got Michael Fossenbender in it and doing a, an interesting performance, but it's not something like Sorkin dialogue isn't for everybody. And Sorkin dialogue plus that structure isn't for everybody. And so, and if, if I remember correctly, there wasn't a great rollout for it. Like you have to, you have to find the right niche to hit. And if you are, you know, if you're rolling out from four theaters to six theaters to 800 theaters to a thousand, you just keep rolling out that way and it still doesn't get to the majority of Americans. That's that's going to kind of hinder your box office potential. Yeah, you think? <laughs> well, that like, plus a lack of marketing spend, which I get because you don't have a ton of money behind you. But you still would think that if any studio has has the rights to these films and intends on putting together a Oscar campaign, you would want the general populace to be aware of your film. Right, right. And it's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how studios want want to go about fixing it. Um, It's just like, I'm just trying to, I'm not trying to think about, you know, when a war season comes around, but it's inevitable, Uh, you know, because we do, we do this little song and dance every year. Nothing popular gets nominated for the big awards. Most people have never heard of the movies 
nominated for the big award in, you know, however many years. This year, it's going, and the way this goes, it seems like it's going to keep getting worse and worse. Uh, like, as of right now, uh, I, I would say that any awards for Teal, a lot of people, well, maybe not even a lot of people. I know a lot of black people will be like, okay, I get that. I've heard of that because Till was marketed in a way that I know a lot of black people know that it's a thing. Uh, I'm not saying it's an overwhelming majority or anything, but I know black people are aware of it. I don't know how many other people are aware of it, but I don't, the rest of these movies, I, I just don't know. I, I, I don't think anybody's going to know what they are. And at some point that just has to diminish the importance of your award. If nobody knows what these movies are. And I understand viewing habits are changing and, and what people watch are changing, but that means you have to change too. If you, if you want to just be a niche film Twitter kind of thing, that is fine, but you can't bump up your importance to anything more than that. And I don't know if that people might not think that's fair, but I mean, that's just kind of what it is. If nobody knows what the movies are, except for like 10 people, then it can only be important to 10 people and not everybody else. Here's my concern, Chad. Here's my concern. The best film of the year is everything everywhere all at once. I am concerned and it it made a cultural imprint, right? I Mm -hmm. went out Saturday, Friday night and Saturday night. I saw people cosplaying as the the hot dog fingers in the third <laughs> eye. Like it's made a cultural impact. I am concerned that film doesn't get nominated. Oh, I I'd almost guarantee it won't get nominated. And if it doesn't get nominated, there is a disconnect there. Because here's a yeah. film with a small budget that's from A24, which is a house that you really like. It's got really good actors in it. It's a great story. It had box office success. It is almost of this exact same mold as um, as Grand Budapest Hotel, which you know got released in a May as a Wes Anderson movie, and and they were able to ride that that momentum by re-releasing it a couple in November, and and led that to an Oscar campaign. I don't know, like if they do this and if they if they neglect that, you know, and we end up with you know just a bunch of of big Hollywood names like Tilda Swinton on the stage, but no one knowing the movie Tilda Swinton played in, that might be an issue. Right. And, and you, you know, you bring up everything everywhere all at once, which again, I love that movie too. And I, I, I look do how think long that it took you to see it. Look how long it took you to see it because it finally got around to a place that was close enough to you and had a showtime that was relatively well adjusted right. so you could get to it. Right. And yeah, that was the thing with that. It was being in Houston. Most movies are available to me. It's just going to be a matter of what time. And again, not showing movies in the in the goddamn morning. Uh, a lot of these movies, uh, if I don't catch them like right off, they'll they quickly get relegated to like two shows a day, like at four and seven times. I just can't go. I think what happened with everything everywhere all at once was it did that. But then it started gaining more theaters. So then it got more times and then I can go and see it. But with like with that movie, I think that movie, there is cultural relevance to it. But st- still, 
that one, a lot of, uh, like, if I were to ask anybody in the general audience that I think of as general audience, if they heard of that movie, they would probably say no. But I think if you show them, like, the premise, even if they don't watch it, I think it's, they'll be like, okay, they'll be more accepting of that movie than anything else. Because at least that movie, it has some, it has some of the trappings of what general audiences generally go see, but it is a great movie wrapped up in that. Whereas if you show them Tar, uh, which I, me to, you show me Tar, I'm like, come on, let me go. I want to go like right now because it just it hits me in one of my sweet spots with the music and the and she's a conductor, a musician, all that stuff. But most people are like this artsy farty crap. Uh, I think the disconnect is already here. I think what's happening now is it's getting exacerbated way, way worse than it's ever been before. And it's, I don't think it's going to get any better anytime soon. Indeed. So, Chad, we might have something that might get better very soon. That would be D- Warner Brothers Discovery finally making a decision about who they want to lead their DC Films brand. And they came up with a very fami- couple of very familiar names, one of which was a major surprise to most people. Your thoughts, sir, on James Gunn taking the reins of the DC Cinematic Universe? So, all right. So James Gunn um, is a name that I've heard in like nerd circles when people say DC should just let James Gunn run uh, their movie division, which comes and, from the Suicide Squad and Peacemaker being two of the more critically well received DC movies. Right. Right. And I think I, I've heard that even before then, like when DC hired him to do Suicide Squad. So before people even saw it, I think people were saying it because they knew of his work on Guardians and they're like, just let him do whatever he wants, because whatever he's doing in Marvel is way better than what DC's doing right now. And when those people say that at that point in time, I'll be like, no, I don't think you should have an active director running your your entire slate because again they are a director and they have and being a director is a full-time job and they have their own movies where being the architect of a universe is probably not going to be it's something's going to fall through the crack and i think and and we'd already done this before with dc when they let snyder do whatever he wanted and everything revolved off of that so i thought it was a terrible idea Fast forward to now, and while there are some things I have concerns with, they, I think this is good news for DC. Good news for the fact that, one, he is not just the head of DC by himself. He also has uh, Peter Safran with him. And what everybody is already speculating is James is more of the creative head. Peter Safran is more of the uh, executive head. And we can get into Saffron a little bit later with his bona fides. I think they are uh, up to snuff for this position. Uh, but letting James be involved with the the creative side and only knowing the mandate we that the mandate that we know DC has is they want a more cohesive universe. That's kind of all we know that they want. So he, if if you know nothing else about James Gunn, you can see that he's a very creative person. He's also Got nerd bona fides. I mean, he took obscure characters from Marvel, like the Guardians of the Galaxy, that I thought was a terrible idea. I didn't think it was going to work because it's a tree 
a talking tree, and a walking, talking raccoon. And he took those characters and made them some of the most beloved characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He then went on, he did the Suicide Squad and took the the anti-hero psycho wearing a toilet bowl on his head, gave him his own show, and it's probably some of DC's best work to date. So he can he to take those deep cuts and make them what they are. He knows the material. He cares about the material. And that's really in for the creative part. I think that's part one to know the material. I mean, you don't have you don't have to be swimming in it, but clear, uh, clearly he is. He knows the deep cuts. He knows the material. He cares about the material, but he's also very creative, and he's also had the benefit of working with Marvel and seeing how their cohesive universe works. And I think he will take part. He can take parts of that, but I really and truly think he will construct. He will help construct this universe to be more like his Suicide Squad movie, which is it definitely in the DC universe. However, from Suicide Squad to the Peacemaker, they are their own their own things that live in these universes. You the given nods to know that they're in these universes, but aren't constricted by the universes. And I think that's how he will fill out the universe. Things will happen. They will be in the universe. He will help to construct the universe where things can happen. Everything can be in the universes, but they don't have to overlap. They don't have to lead into anything else. And when you want big things that mixes the different parts of the universe, you do those things separately, a la Suicide Squad. So creatively, I think this, I think this works. Uh, and I will take a breath now and let you say... Uh, say what you think before I say like what my concerns are and we can talk about Saffron too if you want so my my thing here is all good for James Gunn let's give it up for this man man gets married man gets a new house man gets a new job it's just just a good time imagine the place the very low place that dude had to be when he got fired off of Guardians 3 where the tweets about the shower and all the things come out and he he's forced off the project. And, and, and you wait, but you, if he doesn't get fired, we're not here right now. Yeah, no, no, we're 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 definitely not. But like, think about the low place that that dude is in, and here he is five years later, beautiful wife, beautiful house, in a, in a career that's going in in no any direction but but up. So like, all praise to that dude for for turning it around and making the best out of a bad situation and. And getting an opportunity to do something that uh, is is hard, and he knows that. Um, his first phone call after receiving the the job was to Kevin Feige, uh, a guy who he worked with alongside, who he's seen up close and personal do his thing. And he knows how much time, energy, and effort Kevin has put into this thing over the last 20 years, 10 years. And he knows that it's going to take that. But I think he knows how to also find a work-life balance. I think he also is in a very creative place with his career. Um, and I think that pairing him with a financial guy, with a business guy, with a producer type guy is the right way to go because then he he can focus his creativity on how you make everything work post Flashpoint and, and working all those different angles and what it means. And 
you get the goodwill that is built in on him because while the uh, box office for the Suicide Squad wasn't great, the reception from the fan base was really positive. The reception from critics was really positive, and of course, a lot of people saw Peacemaker. It was one of the biggest shows for HBO Max. So, um, I, I think that James is in a great creative place, and this is the right opportunity at the right time for him to go forward with it. And he does not have a desire to go and take his money and go do a one for me. This is his one for me. He loves this stuff. He loves nerd, nerd stuff. He loves comic book stuff. He wants to be in a position to help DC move forward. And and I'm and for that, I'm really happy. Um, is there a way they can mess it up? Absolutely, there's a way they can mess it up. It is Warner Brothers Discovery, and you did an awesome job on your solo podcast letting everybody know the uh, the downtrodden absolutely crazy things that their budget they're they're doing over there to kind of control budget um but yeah it's can they screw it up sure but i trust this guy more than i would say hiring some suit off the street to come in and do it right and i i think that's why everybody is um really really excited over this uh now with that uh i do have concerns and most of my concerns with james gunn just stem from the fact that it seems like they've left it open that he'll be able to still direct movies. Um, and it didn't say like specifically like just DC movies. So maybe he can do a one for them in this arrangement with WB for something else. But what would uh, he want to do? That's, that's the thing. He's been so heavily entrenched in this comic book world for the last decade. What would he, what would his one for me look like? Would it look like Slither? Like what? What would it look like? I do. I think it would be something like in a horror vein, because he. I mean, he is a weird dude, and he likes that kind of that horror stuff. And he's done all this, like you said, he's done all this comic stuff here recently. Well, for like the last ten years, so maybe he has like some little horror movie he wants to personally do to scratch that itch. And I think you know that's that's fine. I just don't know how he balances directing a movie. And running the studio. I mean, I guess we're kind of going to find that out in like the next two days because he technically starts at DC on uh, November 1st and we're recording on October 30th. So in two days, but he's very much working on Guardians of the Galaxy 3 right now for Marvel is going to do a is going to do a whole press tour. Yeah, he's here. I mean, he's not done. He's not done with Marvel until that movie comes out. So and after he's done all the press for it, he's not done with Marvel until like the second, third week in May. And I don't know if he's still got any work to do on the uh, on the holiday special. I doubt it. But he's still working on Guardians three. So it, and I, but I mean, that one is probably so much in the can that he can do. He can probably balance it a little bit more. He's not having to shoot. He's in the editing stage, so he can probably balance that some more. But how do you do that when you're shooting, when you're doing a movie from start to finish and you have these executive duties? How are you going to how is he going to manage that? I think he can. It just gives me pause. Um, And that's that's my biggest concern, because it still harkens back to my whole a director running the whole kit and caboodle. But this is a little bit different. There are like like he's officially the guy. So he's running it whether he directs a movie or not. 
Uh, and I, I, I think he had, I have more faith in him to dictate, not dictate, but to find creative ways to run the universe and can manage kind of what he wants to do for his own movies. But it, it gives me pause. Has a different feel to it than uh, Jeff Johns taking things over. Remember the good old days when Jeff Johns was supposed to be the savior of the DCEU? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I thought there was a chance for that because Johns did work in movies for a little bit, but he wasn't as entrenched as anybody else. and Definitely not entrenched as James Gunn. But yeah, I think this should work out better. Yeah. Partic- particularly since this is Zaslov's call. Zaslov is the 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 end all be all with WB right now, so they should be given full trust to do whatever they want. And the thing is, like, I'm happy that it, that it has happened. I do have a concern about taking James Gunn originals off the table for a hot minute. But if I don't get another original James Gunn, fil- another uh, you know James Gunn film for three or four years, I'm fine with that. Like, focus on building this thing into what you want it to be, because Lord knows there's going to be a whole cluster after Flashpoint to untangle. So go forth and do, and and you'll still be active on Twitter, and I'm sure you'll still produce short films at some point, and I'm sure you'll still do features at some point, but if you want to go do this, by all means, go focus your creative energy there. Hire the right people, because that's one thing I do trust James to do, is hire the right people and put them in the right positions to succeed and, uh, you know, go forth and do, uh, I'm not, I can do without a, a James Gunn original if it means getting DC on track. Right. And I, I'm really curious to see how they like, how they set it up in like their first couple years, because even the, um, Oh, uh, a quick aside. I did see people on Twitter making fun of them for saying DC has a 10 year plan and these are four-year deals. How does this line up? Um, I do think that that is just a industry standard. You don't want to be tied to – this is not college football. You're not tying yourself to a coach for 10 years and then looking back in your form, you're like, damn, I really wish I can get rid of this dude, but I really can't. No, I mean, you, you can come up with $90 million. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not really that hard to come up with $90 million. Yeah, you can. That don't mean you should. Uh, and but movie studios are not like that. Movie studios are gonna well, have problem, to eat it. The problem there is they don't have anybody to move on to. Like there's not a a hot name out there that they can go and get that's gonna fix their situation this off season. Um, oh, uh, so well, I I agree I agree with that. But really and truly, the whole thing is, yeah, they can. I think they can pay him out right now if they wanted to. It's just the hit they're gonna get for it. And it's going to deter whoever else wants to come anyway. So, but that's we we, we trailed off into uh, Texas A and M sucking. Uh, when we should, we'll stay back on this track over here. Uh, I was just saying that, like, yeah, you it's, know, it's standard forty year deals are standard, and you reevaluate halfway through. Um, it's just this gives me confidence for whatever happens post Flashpoint and where we go from here, and it's a confidence I haven't really had in a DC hierarchy since Zach post uh, Man of Steel. Because I was really excited by the BVS news when it dropped that Comic-Con because everybody I thought, was. I thought I thought Zach could do some really fun, interesting things with that. And then of course we got Darkness, No Parents, and a movie that starts with the funeral and ends with a funeral. Um but 
I have confidence, like I said, in James to put together good stories and to hire and to hire good creative folks who, you know, when when it comes time for him to hire a director, I have confidence that he's going to hire the right director for that property and for that story. And that's that's something I haven't always been able to say about about leadership in many movie studios across across the city, much less uh, much less D.C. Yeah, it. Um, I do have confidence. Honestly, uh, my confidence comes in the fact that, uh, you know, as much as Zasloff is setting things on fire, uh, at least for the short, at least for like the next four years, he is the head guy. And this is his decision. This is his vote of confidence. So that means no matter what happens over the next four years, they're going to get to run their course. The thing that has killed DC so for so many times is they will make decisions on on people to lead, and they would install those people, and they would have to deal with the 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 leftovers of the previous regime, and they got all the hate for the previous regime's leftovers, and then get replaced before their plan really even kicks in. And it was just this vicious cycle. And that all happened because the leadership at the top wasn't stable. Um, they weren't stable and they didn't know what they're doing. I don't know. Jerry still out, is still out on what if Zaslav knows what he's doing or not, but he is stable right now. And at least when it comes to DC, he seems to know what knows what he wants. So they are they are stable right now. And I think that stability is important because uh, the slate, the slate. We have everything that's supposed to come out for like the next two years. They're not gonna. It, it's coming out. It's done by the previous people. So Flash, Aquaman, Shazam. Um, they won't be the figure. They'll. They're gonna be the figureheads when they come out. But they're not the ones that greenlit it. They're not the ones that produced it all the way through. We're we're two, probably three years away from seeing projects done by these guys so and people are going to forget that by the time we get to that point they're going to still be judging the releases next year and the year after that and probably trying to attribute to them but we we won't see for a while so everybody just needs to be patient and trust that they can get it right and just keep in mind that it's going to be a while before we see their fingerprints over things Indeed, because you have to get beat. You have to allow some time for the creative cycle to peter out, which they haven't done. They've been very reactionary in that sense, and yes. uh, you know you've got to let kind of let it got to got to let it play out a little bit, um, and then go from there. Um, yeah. So tell me about Stefian. Um, tell me about his bona fides and and why you think that it's a good a good fit to pair him with James Gunn. Uh, so Peter Safran, he is a. Uh... Um, he is a producer extraordinaire. He's actually worked with James Gunn uh, for a long while. They've had a working relationship for a long while. Uh, I think one of some of uh, I can't I don't have it right in front of me, but some of James Gunn's earlier, like I think there's like a YouTube show or some some little show thing that he did. Saffron was a producer on that. Saffron has produced. Uh, he produced Suicide Squad, with, Suicide Squad with James Gunn. I think he did like Slither. Uh, at least he had. At least he's mentioned in Super. I don't know if he produced it, but he's got like a special credit or whatnot. Uh, 
So they've worked together. They've got a, they've got a working relationship. They know each other. Uh, on his own, uh, he is one of the producers of the Conjuring franchise, which I know people don't think about it this way. The Conjuring franchise, pound for pound, is the most profitable franchise WB has. Those movies cost nothing to make, and the franchise as a whole has made over a billion dollars. It he he gets the credit for that. Um, he's also he's produced Shazam. He's produced Aquaman. So he's not a stranger to DC either. So he has true producer executive bona fides in just regular movie making as well as uh, superhero movie making, particularly DC. And he has and he has uh, a prior relationship with James Gunn and they've worked together. So I, I think those two together will be a good fit. I'd agree, and I think that having that that repertoire, that shorthand that comes with with working with somebody for a number of years helps. Um, you know, it's not two people who are thrown together who've never met before. It's it's two people who have a, a working relationship and a working knowledge of the institution, and and I think those are both really good attributes to have going forward. Um, you know, we're just going to have to find out how patient Zavloff is willing to be how patient uh, the fan base is willing to be. Because again, as you said, we're about, you know, we're at least three years from seeing any particular projects out of this cycle. So uh, this leadership group. So, so we'll see, but their, their challenge number one has to be, and I'm sure that starting on Tuesday, they're going to, they're going to start meeting on what do we do after flashpoint is done? Cause that'll be a hard reboot and we'll have X, Y, or Z available to us. Here's what's on the table. Here's what's off the table. Here's where we can go going forward. They'll talk probably about the uh, little corner of the universe as we talked about uh, on the uh, on the uh, Shazam, uh, the uh, Black Adam uh, spoiler special about this little pocket universe that, that the Rocks kind of got going on with uh, Weller showing up and, and Spider Superman showing up. Um, they'll talk about that, I'm sure. But this is going to be them going forward, thinking about life after Flashpoint. And I think that's where we also need to place our focus is life after that movie, whenever it comes out, regardless of whether a star is sane or not. Right. And that's why I think there's such a big push for them to get it out, because I think they do want to have that uh, reset and establish new things. Which, to like their credit, a- that's been the plan regime after regime after regime. That movie right. was announced in 2016 as a Flashpoint movie. Which, at that time, I thought that was a stupid idea because there was no need to reboot the... Uh, well, if it was announced before Batman vs. Superman, at that point, there was no need to re- uh, reset the universe then, universe then because you were only one movie in at that point. If it was announced after Batman vs. Superman, okay, I kind of understand it because... Really and truly, while people might think Man of Steel is the problem or Justice League is the problem, the problem with this whole thing is Batman versus Superman. Everything bad about this universe comes out of this movie. Granted, there's a lot of good that comes out of it, too, but it sets up all of the bad stuff that really needs to be flushed. And if you'd like to see Chad pull what what was left of his hair out, you can go back and listen to our review podcast Back from March of 2016, uh, with uh, our review of Dawn of Justice, um, which is which is still up in the archives there as we approach our 300th episode. So 
if you if you want to put together a melody of Chad's greatest anti, uh, greatest DC hits, uh, I highly recommend the Dawn of Justice recap show, the Justice League Zack Snyder's Justice League recap show, and <laughs> and I also highly recommend the Joker uh, review show, all of which <laughs> are, are really a fun time. Okay, so I, somebody should do that and and report back because I I'll tell you off the top of my head. I don't think I was as harsh to Batman versus Superman coming out of the movie as I am to it right now. Uh, Justice League, uh, if you're doing Zack Snyder's Justice League, I that was only last year, and I really can't remember what I, I said then. I don't remember if I was... I know I wasn't, like, seething at it, but I was. I think I pretty much came on in on it's the same movie, but it's better. Um, and Zack didn't go too nuts, but that's because... Things got changed. Uh, now, Joker, I'm pretty sure I came in hot on that one because I just don't like that movie. I was probably more gracious than I'm thinking of right now. But I don't think I'm I don't think I was as gracious as I was to Batman as to Batman or Superman because I really don't like that movie. But uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I believe the word uh, pompous and up its own ass were used. Oh. multiple times. Oh, yeah. That for sure, I know that happened because those words have stuck in my vocabulary because of that movie. That one and Logan both gets the gets the up its own ass treatment. So, but yeah, go ahead and listen to those. Let me know that you think I was mean to those. That's not was I nice to those? Am I about the same as I am now? Uh, I'm just curious because I, I have thoughts, but I don't think I don't think I was two of those. I don't think I was mean. One of those I probably was. But you can tell me. Yes, and and please, uh, please look forward to uh, our great uh, producer and editor friend uh, Grant Fletcher doing a a cut up of all the various times that I've praised Pepper Potts over the course of three almost three hundred episodes. Oh man, that's gonna be uh, that you go you're overworking Grant for that one. Well, all right, Chad. So that all about do it for this week's podcast. We will be back here again around the virtual campfire soon to talk about movies again as we count down to Wakanda forever. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at BCW Tiger Fan, and the show is at On The Brain Pod. And I'm at The Mets Theory. Thank you very much, and have a pleasant evening.